0: There's nothing worth more
1: that will ever come close no thing can come So what, what we sh- we're going to talk about today is the blog that we've all read and i posted it to the like David project website like David project Facebook account. I put a post out I believe if not I could do it again um, It's the Gunger. Blog. The lead singer Gunger wrote a blog about Christian music and drinking, and just had a couple of hot topics that we can talk about and discuss, and is relevant to us and what um, what we're doing. We do a lot of music here, and I think music is a big part of um, the way we're going. So uh, we do
2: some Gunger music too. Exactly.
1: So. This definitely applies to us, and uh, we could almost talk about it twice. Oh. You just broke your own rule. <laughs> I was joking. That was inside joke. That's supposed to be an inside joke. Whatever. <laughs> I'm mental high fiving myself. Um. So the. And just to back up again, talking about the website and whatnot, Like David Project's now available on, like, we're good to hook for now. Like, we're good on iTunes. There's a picture. It's not called Multimedia Library. I mean, we actually have the name Like David Project Podcast on iTunes. Stitcher is on there, which is awesome for people that use it. I know, love it. Um, everything's good on there. And our website, everything's coach. Like, everything's good. There's no loose ends out there. Just, I guess, as an administrative message, but Thanks, I feel John. really awesome about it.
2: You did a good job.
1: Good job. I, I wasn't trying to like get praise. I just really excited I know, that way. But we're, you deserve it. We praise you, John. Awesome. <laughs> but I'm really excited that like all the puzzles. I mean, everything's fitting right now. So, and good to good to go for the future. I feel more confident in in I don't want to say advertising, but you know, pushing the podcast out in the internet world when everything kinda adds up and when people come visit and they ask about the podcast or whatnot, it's a lot easier on the mind to know that you're handing them a solid product that they can find easily if they wanted to or, you know, listen to and so only after a year I think we've gotten things down. So, it was all good practice, though. Definitely, yeah. I and
3: mean, you've done a good job. And seriously, thank you for that.
1: Awesome. Um, but back to the. And if anybody has problems using Stitcher or iTunes, and you're listening to this, just let me know. You can call the church office, and um, or just Facebook me, and I'll, I'm willing to help anybody out in setting up podcasting accounts or whatnot. But moving on, um, back to the Gunger blog. What we want to talk about is, I mean, just first and foremost in the blog, they talk about his name, Michael Gunger. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Gunger talks about uh, a Gunger test to music, and basically, what he, (laughs) what him and his band do is listen to a short sample of a song, any song or a radio station, and the name of the game is that you got to be able to decipher whether it's a Christian song, or if it's a secular song, a CCM, which is contemporary Christian music, if it's a Christian song or a secular song within the first nine seconds, or it's some singular you know, amount of time, seconds. Um, so with that game and playing that game, that him and his band play that on tour, through time of playing it, he's kind of trying to realize why. And I can personally attest to this. I've heard, and I'm sure a lot of other musicians can I can tell whether it's a Christian radio station before a lyric is given out, before a word's most of the time. Um, If you put on a song, I can usually tell whether it's Christian before any lyrics are said or whatnot. And if you think about it, I shouldn't be able to. Why should I be able to tell if it's Christian? Because Christian's kind of... Anyways, do you agree with that? Are you able to tell or decipher whether something's Christian or not, a Christian song, not something's Christian, whether Christian music is Christian or not by listening to the first few measures?
2: I have played that game before with Jody, and we've had moderate success (gasps) at figuring out, or even if we're not playing a game, if we're in a new town, if we're driving through somewhere and we're, you know, the radio's on scan we have both at different times said immediately, oh, that must be K-Love or that must be the Christian station, you know, whatever the equivalent is. So, yes, I do understand. There is mm-hmm. there is often something about the music uh, slash presentation slash um, lyrics or words that are spoken that immediately identify it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, like, I've always thought with music that there was some innate thing in the music, which I always thought came from the artist who was playing it or singing it. There was some, you know, magic part of that that came across in music that had the ability to touch the listener, you know, somewhere in their soul. And, uh, that's kind of always the way I've approached music, whether it's secular or Christian, if it resonates in me, if it touches something inside of me, then I identify with it. You know, and mm-hmm. that writer, that artist, has made a connection with me somehow. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting that Michael Gunger, when in the article, was saying uh, that he's gotten quite good at it. And they asked him how he did that, and he, what he articulated was that it was most of the time it was zombie-like or soulless. It had no soul. The music had no soul, and that's how he could identify it. And in my mind, it's like the the soul is, you know, part of our humanness that, you know, wherein resides the mind and the will and the emotions. And it's the soul realm that music touches. You know, that's that's the powerful part and the beauty part of music is it gets past the the body and it can get past uh, if we're body, soul, and spirit, can get past that and it goes right into our soul realm and that's why people will respond sometimes. It touches something in their soul and then they'll start responding in their body, you know, by clapping their hands or, you know, tapping their foot or dancing or, or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just think that uh, it's interesting, and I'm kind of coining that, the Gungor test of music. Does it have soul or not? Mm-hmm.
2: I, I have a question about that, just worth throwing out there, because I, I was thinking this. Uh, I, I understand what Michael Gunger was saying, at least, at least from my perspective, not knowing the industry as well as he does. But um, ultimately, he was being critical of the Christian music industry, saying that the music was identifiable because of what it lacked. But I just had a thought. There's going to be a lot of people out there that read that article that turn on a radio station that actually think the opposite. They, They identify it as Christian because of something indefinable that they can't explain. But they would say, that's actually, because I'm a Christian, I'm connecting with the heart of that yeah. that song. There's something of the Spirit of God that comes through, yeah. the heart of the artist, the music that's being played. I mean, is that fair, or is that something that maybe Gunger is overlooking in his criticism?
3: Well, I remember him, and it's been a couple of weeks now that I've read the article, but I remember him kind of bringing, you know the idea that... I uh, just lost my thought. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> Man, it's a great wind-up, though. Yeah, <laughs> we were on the edge of our seats. Yeah. Wait, no, yeah. he answered yeah. that already. Yeah, yeah. John, do you remember...
2: Have you ever thought about that? Because yeah. I know we we have tended to... I know the three of us have read that article and, and kind of agreed with him that there's something <laughs> lacking in the Christian music something missing. He says it's a, it's some, it's a soul. It, it doesn't have soul. I remember what it was, but I'm wondering if it's actually in defense of Christian music. I'm yeah. saying, is there, is he was there talking about,
3: he brought in the idea of the phoniness of it. Remember he was talking about the, he was talking about the breathy lyrics and the, you know, the, you know, he was talking about that, how yeah. it's easy to come across with a style that is zombie-like in other words it's lacking soul it looks like it's alive but it's actually dead it's easier to kinda fake it and to put that sheen on it even though it doesn't really have that it doesn't have the the heart and soul of the artist like there's a lot of people you can listen to you can tell secular or not their heart is in it man their Mm. soul is in the music
1: i watched the voice i never watched any of those shows before American Idol, I've never seen American Idol, whatever. I just so happened to watch The Voice this year singing competition on NBC. And that's what they say over and over and over again. And that's what they're looking to find in people. And I think it's music across the board. You You can tell when a singer feels it. As a singer, I can tell when I feel it or when I... It being having soul or just getting into the song or just you know, hitting that sweet spot in music, and um, so, I I mean, I I identify with what Michael Gunger is saying about Christian music not having, and and we're talking stereotype, folks, like, not all Christian music is bad, and not, I mean, not any, this doesn't make it bad, it's just, as far as artistry, it's kind of bland, and that's what Michael Gunger is saying, and why is Christian music bland, and. Secular music tends not to be. Um, and I think what you're saying, Matt, is Michael Gunger is being critical and kind of an excuse or a uh, reaction to that would be a Christian saying, Well, I connect with this because I'm a Christian and I don't expect the secular world to connect with it because they're not Christians. And because of what I believe or because of the Holy Spirit or one way or another. That's why I connect with this music. What's Is that what you're saying? Like, what's I'm your saying that, to that?
2: that That would be, I think, a defensive uh, counter argument to what he's proposing. Right. is not that the music is lacking something, but that it connects at a level um, uh, of the spirit maybe that I, I can that just... That only a
1: Christian could... Well,
2: okay. that, a, that a Christian, because we are Christians trying to decide if the music is spiritual or not. If it is, we, we identify it quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just throw it out there as something that maybe but, is, is overlooked. But what I think that both of you are getting at, and maybe even Michael Gunger, is that there's a certain mass-produced quality to music that if you just churn it out and try and make it sound a certain way try, in the effort to make sales, a you're losing some of the creative spark that, that right. brings artistry yeah. alive. Yeah, And there is a problem to that. There, yeah. I mean, There is a problem that Christian music is run by an industry whose goal is to make a profit.
3: Yeah, and it's, and it's important, too. And that's why I like what Michael Gungor did. He kind of came out on record speaking as an artist, and it was really kind of to other artists. And I, th- I thought that was good that he would kind of challenge us that make sure that you're really singing from your heart. Really make sure that you're hitting the note. Really make sure that you're really, you know bringing it you're not just mailing it in because like for example just in worship music there has been a certain polish and sheen and sound that's been coming down the pipe uh, for quite some time concerning worship albums where after a while they they were all sounding the same and then just even in our worship band we discovered all your sons and daughters which was so totally different than Everything else that was kind of going on, it was just really stripped down. One, you know, two. Pe- Gunger was two one of those singing. bands.
1: You know, yes, that yeah, yes, was one of those bands that I think setting a different path. Yes, absolutely. Gunger and I think, it is. and it, this is probably known, but I just come to the realization that worship is different from Christian music. No, worship is Christian music. Worship is different from contemporary Christian music. I think the music that Michael's. Talking about in his blog, um, I think worship is—I don't—I mean, it's more congregational. There's definitely good and bad worship, though.
3: Well, if, let's let's unpack that for a minute. If if you you know, the idea is we can turn on a radio and mm-hmm. we can start scanning through stations, and we can say. You know, secular, you know, Christian, and, you know, we can play that game. It's kind of fun to do that. But if you go, if you hit on a Christian music station, you're going to hear a lot of worship songs. You're going to hear, you know, I think it's, it's trended. Away from the songs about God, the anthem songs about God or defeating the devil or, you know, being in the ring like Rocky. You know, it's kind of moved away from that. And I think it's more, if you tune into a Christian radio station right now, you'll hear some of the anthemic songs Christ that are being Thomas. sung in the, in the church. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, you do. The ones that are popular, your CCLI top uh, 100 worship songs. Yeah. CCLI being... <laughs> That was a inside another inside joke right yeah, there. Yeah. That being the Christian copyright and licensing organization that that you get your worship music from. Yeah, that.
1: <laughs> but I think worship. There is a. I think there is a fair amount of good worship out there. I think there's a fair amount of bad worship out there too. But by bad, I mean don't get me wrong. By bad, I'm saying. I don't like it
3: <laughs> <laughs> by bad. I'm saying I don't care. Often yeah. music
2: comes down to that. It's, you know, it's, it's good because we like it and it's bad because yeah. we don't. And that's, it's a does subjective that. Ever, that. <laughs> does that I ever mean, happen
3: on a Sunday morning in the song list? Occasionally there's a song that I don't really care for. So I'm going to mail it in.
1: Yeah. There's songs that I don't want. I mean, that I don't care yeah. for definitely. Um, I'd be lying to say I love every worship song that we ever did, you know, but. But it's not about us,
2: right? Right. Certain exactly. songs that connect with the congregation. Yeah. Even if it's Very not. Very true. If it's not the type of song that we would pick. I mean, let's face it, Chris, you know, uh, Chris Tomlin's song, for example. I mean, he's the big name in worship music right now. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care for everything that he writes. Yeah. But he does know how to write a song that people engage in. Yeah. yeah that mm-hmm. people can get involved in. So whether or not, he, you know, he's. His songs can be useful in in that sense in a worship setting because they can get people
1: into it. For me, it's God is able. Like I really.
2: Oh, but that's because of a bad experience with that song, right?
1: (laughs) I just heard a worship leader sing it. And I just, and I was the first time and I knew everybody loved it. And I actually brought it to Jody. I said. Knowing that she would like it. I said, people love this song. I give it to you. You know, just because I feel I should, but I don't like the song. <laughs> you know, like, the way I gave it to her was, like, this is going to be great, but mm, I don't like it. And don't make me play it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Don't make
1: me Actually, sing she it. makes
2: you
3: sing it. I sing you. it, Not it only I do like, play every it. three you weeks. You, you lead
1: it. Like we, That's the way it goes. And our congregation really identifies with the song, yeah. really likes the song. Jody uses it, like, every three weeks. <laughs> like, it's one of the top songs she picks it's good and song. has been since we love that. Put it in. And it's done by Hillsong United, who I absolutely love everything they're doing. I think they're extremely anointed by God. I mean, they're the Christian worship Beatles in my head. Like, I think Hillsong <laughs> I is mean. the bee's knees. Like, those guys just pump out soulful music all the time. And um,
2: But it's not even that song, right? It was the first version of that song that you heard, the first experience, Tainted.
1: Yeah. That was kind of what did it for me, and then I just stuck in my head, I guess, and I can't get that version of that song out of my head. Um, But I can still sing it and and worship to it, and, I mean, just because I don't particularly love a song. I mean, I don't listen to it on my own time, but I can still worship to it, and it's still, the words or the lyrics are still... Awesome, and, you know, our God is able, and you can go wrong.
3: That is a perfect example, though, and I appreciate your honesty. That's a perfect example of artists, musicians, doing the right thing, even though there isn't that resonance in their own heart and spirit about it. Mm-hmm. And what Michael Gunger was talking about was the industry, the music industry, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a lot of artists that get caught in that trap of they 're so excited they finally get signed to a label or they get that big opportunity that, as a musician they 've been working towards, and then all of a sudden they 're being told by the creative people in that if you organization, want a award yeah, if you want to do this, then you 're going to need to do this song. But I don't really like that song. But you know what? If you go in the studio and you nail it, it's going to be good because it's going to resonate with the hearts of radio listeners, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that becomes really kind of – that's the rub. You know, how do we – where's that cutoff line on the continuum of right and wrong, doing the right thing for the right reasons – where's that cutoff of just saying, wow, I, it violates my conscience to sing that or to do that or to, you know,
1: I think when you're putting your name on it, you know, like when you're releasing something that's yours. And I mean, if I came out with the album, John Campbell sings this, whatever worship. And I put out a song that I didn't resonate with, or I didn't feel was the right fit. Then that would be an example of, when it's probably, that's what Michael Gunger's is talking about, like stop making safe music that you're being told it's going to do well and you know it will do well, but you know it's just, I don't know. Safe is a good word.
2: That's an interesting yeah. concept because that's what something that I recognize about the Christian music that feels soulless to me is that it's it's safe. It's not risky. It's not creative. It's not setting a new standard. It's just it's just safe. And and 90% of the music on any particular given station at any particular time kind of has similar sounds and feels to it because that's safe. Safe being that it makes money for the people that are producing it. (laughs) And it's not taking a a risk. But I would also say (laughs) this, that it's not just the Christian music industry that has that problem. It's the music industry in general. Look at For example, the American Idol winners and and the struggles that they go through in the requirements to fulfill a contract as a winner of the station, Mm -hmm. struggling with their desire to have their own creative expression. And some people have actually gone so far as to cancel their contract and and drop out. And it's not just an American Idol winner, but that's pretty common in the music industry that… The people that are bankrolling it want to make sure that they get a return on their investment. And so if they say, you have to do this in order to make sure that we get our money back, you know, make a return, then, then a lot of people are contract bound to do exactly that. And so while that, while that problem that Gunger is identifying is much broader than just Christian music, the real villain is that industry whose goal is to make a profit and
1: stifle creative expression. Yeah. And they own everything. Yeah. I heard I saw I heard a the documentary just about how much the recording companies or what I don't know you call them the rec- yeah, capital and whatever. They run these guys' lives on tour. They have to wear what they're told to wear. They have to act like they're told to act, you know, and just it yeah. seems yeah. It seems crazy.
2: And there's really only two ways, it's, it appears, to, to overcome that. One is to be so profoundly creative and groundbreaking that they go with you, that they agree with you. But there's not many people that reach that that standard that really change in industry. Yeah. But the alternative is to do what they say for as long as you need to until you have the money and the clout to break the contract and, and write your own. Yeah. But either, both of those ways are difficult and, and hard to... To achieve and so it 's good that an artist like Gunger can see that issue and say hey let 's let 's do something different yeah let 's expand our creativity let 's push the boundaries a little bit and break out of this the safe mold of what has made money before and really learn how to worship God from our, our hearts yeah.
3: mm-hmm. this might be a good place to talk about the changing of the guard in the music music industry you know and how things have changed. Because uh, I read a lot of Seth Godin, who's this marketing genius, and he's more coming from the perspective of the publishing field. But the publishing field is going through the same changes that the music industry is going through. Because it used to be <clears throat> that the way you became really successful as a musician is you were assigned to capital or you know one of the major Things. Or if you were a writer and a publisher, you got published by one of the major publishing houses and you got on the top 10 of the New York Times list or whatever. But things have changed. The internet has brought this leveling of the playing field where uh, people can sing a song in front of their computer. And they can become an overnight sensation, literally. (laughs) And, uh, you know, right or wrong, it's the same way with, like, the writing of blogs and things. Now, everybody can express what they want to express on their smartphones, tablets and computers and laptops and all those kinds of things. And if an idea is a good idea, whether it's backed by, you know, uh, a big conglomeration or not, it's a good idea and it's going to go. And isn't, as musicians, don't we want to touch the hearts of people? Don't we want, as writers, don't we want to influence people? Don't we want to bring that kind of influence? And so the the, the game has totally changed now. And whereas it used to be, you would be that big band that signed with Capitol and you put out your first album and it went multi-platinum and just went crazy and then you go into the studio to do your sophomore album the next album and the company's saying we want more of that and you're saying well we wrote those songs 10 years ago and we are sick to death of those we've been working on all these other songs and we want to do it and they bring the project in and the person who's in charge of it says, this is, not, this is not your sound. This is not who you are. And so they split off and go to a different record label. That has been enacted countless times. Mm. Well, that's not necessary anymore because people are recording in their bedrooms, yeah. you know. People are recording on their iPads in the back of a, a cab, you know. Uh, it's, just, it's just different now, which I think is really, really good. Because, you know, I would asked John earlier, at what point in time do we cross that line and into an area that we shouldn't? you said, when, when you put your name on it, you know? And it's like this way, in this, in this day and age, we have the ability to put our name on it, you know, mm-hmm. at every point of the spectrum. So that, ho- so, so that hopefully, if our music is zombie-like, or if our uh, music is devout of soul then we've only got us to blame, you know? That's on us. That's not... Yeah. I, well, the the, corp, the corporation think tank made me do this. I, The machine ground me up into little bits, and this is what came out. And we have that ability now. Now, we may not become as famous as the Beatles or the Foo Fighters or whoever, you know? But we can still influence at some level. And I think that's where... Mm-hmm. Because... We're trusting that God is in what we do, and we're seeing that Jesus' approach was to, uh, yes, eventually he he changed a culture, and he changed a nation, and he changed the world, but he started with just a few. He started in that small place, and as musicians, I think that is where we
1: can start as well. As Christian musicians, fame is in our God, and money is in our God. These things aren't the thing that drive us that would be normal, say normal, but the world, saying the world, the secular music industry, I mean, they're pretty much driven by, a part of them is driven by money and fame and those type of things. And I think as a Christian musician, we tend not to, we should not be, if we do, we, we shouldn't be. Um, driven by that. You're talking about how bands bring out an album and then end up breaking up by their sophomore album. And I think a lot of it has to do, too, with... It's funny, like, these guys, like, Pearl Jam. I was watching a documentary on Pearl Jam. It's really good. Cameron Crowe did it. Um, About how they spent, like, their first album, the one that, 10, is huge. You know, it's got most of their hits on it. I mean, still to this day, their concert, it's probably the most album... I mean, the most songs are off that album that they play, you know, 40, 30 years later. It's And to me, it's because they spent 12, 10 years writing this album, getting found out, putting those songs out, it exploding, and then, okay, do it again in, like, six months. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, like, you can't spend your life on your your art and then be told to do something just as good. Crank it and, out. Yeah, and then they just want them to crank it out and crank it out. Some of these bands come out with album. I like Tool. They come out with like an album every seven years and I really, I think, has made them successful, more successful because they limited what they've done. Um, and it, I think, one, it makes them more special when you come out with the album. And, I'm, and we're talking in big band, you know, successful bands. But to be able to sit back and say, no, we're going to do one album every seven years or whatnot. One, gives you the creative time to work on what you have. Two, I think it, it um, makes it more special when you do have songs released. And it also... Um, I had a brain fart. There's a third reason, but I'm not sure yeah. what it is.
2: Second one today. It's my turn. Yeah. In a minute. Yeah. <laughs> There's a. I've been reading a book on creativity, the process of being creative, because people are trying to understand it better. As you know, we all eventually we get around to studying everything, analyzing anything. I think this book has been really interesting. It's called Imagine, and it it looks at the science behind creativity in the brain. And I found uh, something to be interesting in that they've identified two types of creativity. One, they call it divergent, which is when you're daydreaming or in the shower or relaxed and you get an insight on something, which frequently comes from you taking like two different things and mashing them together in a new way to see something differently than you had before. And there are artists that that are great examples of that. And in the book, they talk about Bob Dylan being one of the artists that typifies that type of expression, that he got away from everything and then in a moment of inspiration would get a lyric but there's a second type of creativity called convergent which is when you really focus on something and it usually it happens after the the initial spark because the initial spark may not give you the full idea it just gives you the bare bones, it gives you the structure, but then you have to take that and you refine it and you you edit yourself and you improve and you figure out how to turn the idea into a finished product, essentially. And that requires time and focus and, and energy. But the two are both aspects of creativity and they require time and they require patience and they require insight. And for that reason... When, whenever you are forced into doing something, it often backfires because you mm-hmm. the relaxation part of of needing that creative insight is important and then and then allowing yourself the time to create and edit and it 's different for every person one person might be able to do it in an afternoon one author might take years to yeah. to write a poem yeah. you know and a, but yes uh, the the pressure that comes the, from the industry of trying to capitalize on things uh, can be a major hindrance. I thought of my own example. I thought of Flight of the Concords when they did their HBO s- series and they oh, yeah. turned their music into a uh, sitcom. And the first season was phenomenal. It was hilarious. It was original. It was groundbreaking. But they used all their best material. And when they were forced to churn out a second season, it just wasn't the same. Yeah. It didn't have the same spark yeah. of life and humor and creativity because they had been forced to churn it out. Yeah. So it's a shame. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But that's what they say, you know, like the bands that have, you know, they're on their fifth album and it's still really, really good. That's not the standard. That's usually not what happens. Because most bands or most artists, they've worked for 10 years to come up with their Mm -hmm. material for their first album and it was awesome. And then it's like, do another one in three months and it's just impossible to do. Yeah. You know, I love the idea that you're talking about uh, convergent or divergent. Uh, Because I thought about the guy who's the pastor who speaks every Sunday or every Wednesday or every Sunday and Wednesday or, you know, whenever. And learning how to move from convergent to divergent, you know, whereas... I've got the pressure, I have to speak every single Sunday, so therefore I must do this every single Sunday, to relaxing until you get to the place where I know that I can trust in the inspiration to be there and that if I've got a lot of stuff going on this week, I know that I can, go, I'll be prepared, my heart is prepared because of what I've put together. And I know that that divergent, Thought will come, and I can Bob Dylan it, you know, <laughs> you know. And but yeah. there's a maturity that comes with that, yeah. You know, like uh, we're doing Ecclesia. I know he's getting off track a little bit, but the idea of we're doing Ecclesia, and there's there's some people like you've said one and done, you know, you know. They got together, they put it together, they did it. and I, whew, I'll never have to do that again. You know, Matt and Jody asked me to do this, and I do have to do it again. But then there's some, some of the rest of us that are kind of doing it on a regular basis and stuff. And it's like, okay, there's a date out there. And I know that God is going to have something that he wants me to share that will be relevant and will touch a few hearts. You know what I right. mean? And it's relaxing into that. And I think musicians can do that too, can yes. learn to tap into that type of creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the maturity comes And then you get away from having to produce an album or produce songs or write songs because of what you think other people will think about them or any kind of external pressure.
2: Well, it's not a bad example because there is an art and a craft to public speaking as well. Yeah. And it requires a balancing between getting that spark of, of an inspirational idea to then honing it and making it logical and being able to explain it and communicate it correctly. So yeah. it's a good example. And there is a pressure yeah. on people that that have to speak all the time. To yeah. There is a time that is necessary, a time of preparation that is yeah. necessary, even if that preparation is finding how to relax your mind to discover that. Yeah points of creativity and the relaxation is important i'm that's it's explained in this in this book but we all recognize that sometimes our our sparks of creativity come at the moments when we least expect like when we're taking a shower just so happens to be when most of us find a moment of relaxation during the day or when we're you know on our lunch break and we our mind shuts down for a minute and and in the book they explain that that's because a lot of those creative ideas come from a, a, a region of our brain that isn't Effectively, is not loud. Yeah. The signals are very low frequency and difficult to pick up on. And when the busyness and the crowd of being focused on something is speaking louder, you can't pick up on those subtle things. Yeah. So there is a moment where you have to separate yourself. Find that still quiet moment. And then you can hear this stuff that's kind of in the background that yeah. then is loud enough to be heard. And I, I find that explanation of it to be helpful because now that Spirit. means when you've worked hard and you come yeah. up against a creative block what what's the yeah. best thing to do yeah. go take a nap yeah go yeah. go play ping pong go take a long walk on the beach yeah you know and a, a, allow those still Low level voices to be heard that yeah. that will help you make connections that you couldn't make before. Yeah.
1: I heard a really famous comedian talking about being a comedian and what it took and ha- the art of comedy. And I mean, it really is. I respect comedians. It's the old, probably one of the oldest forms of art. And since it's just you and a microphone up there, I mean, the, comedians, is, I, I don't want to say it's a dying art. But it's definitely not as big as it used to be. It's not as popular as it used to be. but Because it, it's been taken over by TV and by shows yeah. and things like Curses. that. Yeah. But it's really the rarest form where it's just you and a microphone. Uh, so I kind of equate to it a little bit, you know, that form of art. And um, he was talking about it, and he was saying how he's like, he said, I think everybody is could be a comedian. He said, I think we all have the same funny thoughts but the comedian is the you know when you're able to, a comedian is able to when those things happen he's able to grab them and shape them and send them out and, and perform them in a funny way yeah. he says the funniest type of comedian is the one that makes you think oh like make you think you've thought that before or you've been in that place before or whatever he's he's the, the joke is or whatnot it's funny because it's true yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like you know, and I and I relate to that. I usually think something's really funny when I'm watching stand-up comedy. When it's like, oh yeah, when you identify with something that they're saying, and it's because he's able to be creative and take that when somebody else's may not be able to do that or not, you know, practice able to to take that comedy and you know pull it out. I mean, I'm saying pull it out of the air, but you know what I mean. Um, but I think there. That crosses over into music as well, and being, you know, in other art, and maybe even public speaking. Um, yeah. well, how about
3: how about the king? How about just the kingdom?
1: I mean, it's like you're picking up it, on what God is saying. Yeah, yeah, you're
3: you're just making this awesome point about connecting with people. And yeah. how do you connect with people? You know, a comedian connects with people by taking the obvious and stating it, and people are going, oh, man, that is funny because that's exactly what I would do. Or if it's a public speaker or if it's a musician. Really, what separates the men from the boys is making a connection with your audience, making a connection with people through songs, through words, through inflections, through, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the exciting part of it. That's the place, a true creative wants to live that's the place that an artist wants to live is in that moment of making the connection with people mm-hmm. and it's like wow you know, it's just I'm just realizing I'm getting this this epiphany that God the creator of the universe, put that longing and that desire in the heart of creative people, Which could be anybody. Anybody can be a creative person because you've been created in the image of the creator to be able to make that connection with people through whatever it is, that giftedness that God has given you. Mm -hmm.
2: And I want to pick up on that and say I think that that might be at the heart of what we would like to communicate to people is that every one of us, because we're created by a creative God and given that ability, there is not a creative personality necessarily. There are some that, more by nature, they, they have discovered some of the things that we're talking about without having to think about it or you know analyze it. Yeah. But I think that the ability to be creative is innate within every one of us yeah. um, because of who God is, because of how God made us. I think it's probably pro- programmed out of us by life, by the you know the school of hard knocks, or by a lack of a lack of uh, opportunity to explore it and understand it. Yeah. I think that that can happen. Um, but there's not, there's not a single child out there who doesn't enjoy sitting down and coloring or drawing or yeah. expressing themselves. Um, we just tend to force it out of them over time by yeah. by yeah. not giving them a chance to express it. But every one of us can find, can rediscover that creative spark. And it may not be in music or poetry or art or public speaking or dance. It could be in invention. It could be in in writing a technol te- technical manual it could yeah. yeah it could be in in creating a, a logo for something there's so many yeah. different ways but we can all latch on to that creative spark if you give it time and if you give it a place and if you learn how to do it better and most artists and musicians are only better at it because they've been practicing it a lot yeah. longer than we have mm-hmm. it's not that they are superhuman it's that they've devoted time to it and so gotten better at it like everything practice practice practice
1: i think being creative is kind of interchangeable between practices like i don't know do you find because you're a creative person in music that you can kind of be creative in other things a little bit easier um i think creativity I see creativity as, like, the whole, and then there's all these things that we're creative with, you know, and the more we practice those specific areas, like music. Um, I've been playing music for over a decade, so, you know, obviously I've spent a lot of time in that specific field of creativity, but when I go to do design, I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of the guy next to me that doesn't play music or he's not a creative guy, um, and oddly enough, it's cause I think it play music. That's why. Cause I've, cause I'm using those creativity cells or thoughts and whatnot, you know? And so it's in the genre of creativity. So I find it easier. So, yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. not really.
2: No, cause I think there is, there's a way to, there are practices that help us be more creative and whether you've learned them from reading a book or from discovering them by yourself. Yeah. Once you've once you have <coughs> learned at least some basic things, they are transferable and they're beneficial to you in other areas of, of study.
3: It's, it's reminding me of uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible about to each one of us grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Uh, it's First Peter 4, 10, and 12, twelve around in there, and the idea of the idea of that grace, that charis, charisma, that charis the Greek word charis, you know. Some people call it. He's such a charismatic person, or you know, gifted person. And it has to do with the idea is that God gives that grace, that creative gifting ability to every single one of us, and you know, as Christ apportioned it, there's a there's a portion, and it is a portion for us, and it's up to us to discover it and develop it, and and begin to use it. Uh, For his glory, to show his glory, to show, to reveal Jesus Christ through my music, my comedy, my public speaking, whatever it is.
1: What is it about creativity that – let me ask my own question. I think being creative creative is a form of worship by far because anytime I'm being creative, I always tap into – the Holy Spirit or God or, you know, um, maybe, and and I'm not saying all the, every time I'm being creative, I'm doing something for God, but they're in the same bubble. I don't know. I just, I I always really feel like it's a spiritual thing. You
3: feel it, you know, I think it's because you're tapping into that creativity that's there already. God created the heavens and the earth you know he spoke the word and it was you know he is he's omnipresent he's he's everywhere the creative thing is there and when we tap into that i think we sense it and feel it and know it because we're tapping into God the god source
2: and I, I think that there's a, there is an act of worship to that in that when we we express ourselves with the abilities that God has given us it's it's giving him the credit for having instilled those things in yeah. us. Does that make sense? There's a, yeah. that, that gives God value in the place, especially yeah. if you recognize it as we, as we would, we would, we would attribute those things yeah. to God. And that does in fact give him the glory. And therefore it, it, it's like an act of worship. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm God. I don't want to cut, cut off an aspect of who you made me yeah. because I don't right. recognize it because I don't consider myself that i that that act would be almost a betrayal of, of why, what God has done if you yeah. don't allow yourself yeah. to explore that.
3: Yeah. And then if you're recording and you capture a snapshot of that, that's a beautiful thing. You know, when we're doing this podcasting, I mean, I, I sense it. I feel it. Sometimes we're just kind of talking, just, you know, three guys talking, you know. Mm-hmm. We're talking. And then all of a sudden it's like all of a sudden this, creative thing turns on or somebody taps into something and you know, the listeners may go, sounds like a bunch of gibberish to me, but you know, we're, we're just talking away. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody gets an insight, somebody gets a, you know, somebody catches some wisdom. Somebody all of a sudden says something and it's profound. And you know, it's like all of a sudden I sense, you know, we're tapping into God right now. We're, we're worshiping God because we're tapping into him right
2: now. Yeah. And part of coming back to Gunger just reminds me that towards the end, he talked about about Christian artists that are labeled creative and that are that are attempting to be more expressive and and not be constrained by what other people expect of their music but really exploring things and it was it was it was almost a rallying call for that kind of attitude and i think that we should have that in the church that we should be encouraging people to explore the the wonders of creation to explore the way that god made them to explore the abilities and talents that that god bestowed on them and and to to rediscover that creative spark that sets things sets sets us apart from others makes us unique and more of ourselves and i would love to have that same challenge laid out to every christian let's let's not just be satisfied with what we know and what's easy and what's safe and comfortable but let's let's tap into that creative heart that sets us exploring a new previously unknown territory that wins more ground for for god that was a lot of words. that it makes sense?
3: Yeah. <laughs> and we're out. I think well, that that's a awesome. good spot to end,
1: though.
3: That was awesome, yeah.
0: <laughs> There's nothing worth more That will ever come close Nothing can compare You're our living hope Your presence I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free yeah, my shame is under. your presence, Lord.